if you will look at Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> what I was saying is that it has been good for my soul to study. And so I appreciate um, the opportunity to speak to you because um, it's forced me to study in a way that I, I might not otherwise um, or would not otherwise. And so I appreciate that blessing to my soul. Colossians chapter 3, we've read it already, but let's read it again. God's word never grows old. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Father, your word is holy and precious true and right and good. Thank you that we can bank our whole lives on the trustworthiness of your word because it is the word of our trustworthy God who does not change. Father, thank you for Jesus and for his substitution on our behalf. And thank you that he teaches us how to love, one day at a time. Father, I pray that you would help us now as we study together one more time. Open our minds and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I am fighting a cold, you guys, and I've got such a tickle in my throat. I'm going to turn around and cough for a second, okay? <laughs> I was not sure I was going to make it through praying before I needed to do that, so forgive me. And you can pray my voice holds out. Um, so in our last two sessions, we've taken... <coughs> in our last two sessions, we looked at the God who is and at the Christ who came. We were reminded that God in his essence, does not change. <clears throat> that he is the incomprehensible, independent, simple, immense, unchanging, passionless, perfect God. And this is who we worship. And this God, this God, stooped to take on a human nature so that he could live among us in a cursed world 
and so that he could die in our place to take us to God. okay until I got up here. Um, but this is such a comfort that we have a God who is so unlike us. He does not faint or grow weary. He does not tire. He is not weak and helpless. His voice never cracks or gives out. <laughs> um, and he is the one who confers on the name of his chosen ones, the names of holy and beloved. Did you see those in our, our passage? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Thank you all. Y'all are, are being so compassionate to me right now. <laughs> I appreciate it immensely. Um, <clears throat> I've got plenty. I have one in my mouth right now, too, actually. <laughs> it's not helping, but that's okay. Um, the Lord knows. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about these names of holy and beloved that God gives to us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What does it mean to be holy? It's separate from sin. Perfect pure, complete. This is not us. <coughs> not in ourselves. I don't know what sins beset you. I don't know what sins you fight on a daily basis. You know them. God knows them. But if you're honest with yourself, you know that you struggle whether it's with temptation to shade the truth or whether it's with anger and hatred or whether it's with a stinginess and an unwillingness to give or with a selfishness that wants to take. Perhaps it's jealousy or covetousness that you wrestle with. I don't know the sins that you fight in your own mind and heart, and I do not know the ways that Satan accuses you. But I know that he is the accuser of the saints. I don't know what things your own mind accuses you of. But I do know this. Faith is believing what God has said. And to those who are in Christ, God calls them holy. Though they are not, because Jesus is holy. <coughs> I'm so sorry. Um, Jesus is holy, and he is perfect. And all those sins you fight he was tempted by, yet never gave in to. You know that Jesus, we know he was tempted. 
more than we ever have been. We know he was tempted more than us because he never gave in. We give in far before the temptation gets as hard as it could. Jesus never gave in so that we could have the status of holy, but not just holy. He gives us the status of beloved, loved of God. What a miraculous statement. God doesn't just clear our guilt and call us righteous and holy. <laughs> I really want to say this. <laughs> the Lord knows what he's doing, though. <laughs> I apologize very much. I just got a really bad tickle stuck. Um, but what does it mean to be beloved of God? Um, it means that we're brought into the very family of God, that we're adopted as his children, that we are given status as the brothers of Jesus. We are given status as his own family, brought into the very relationship of Jesus with the Father, holy and beloved. These are some, <coughs> these are some of the dearest words that could possibly be said. I do not know what struggles you may have with your identity, who you are. But in Christ, you are holy and beloved. And if faith believes what God has said, then you must believe this. No matter what your mind and heart hurls at you, if you are in Jesus, you are holy and beloved. So you can wake up in the morning and you can face the day <coughs> knowing that this is a status that's been given to you, not earned by you, earned by Christ, given to you. It's pure grace. And then out of the grace you've been given, you can seek to be gracious toward others and to show compassion to them in their failings because Jesus has shown so much compassion to you that he would call you holy and beloved. So what does this have to do with a compassionate heart? After all, <clears throat> our verse says, put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Well, we said in our last session that compassion properly understood is a subset of love. It's love acting in response to, um, to sorrow, poverty, loss, illness. Compassion is particularly love moving to alleviate suffering. 
And, therefore, if love is the fulfillment of the law, then compassion, properly understood, is obedience to God. This is a command that we're given. Put on, then, compassionate hearts. When we put on something, it generally means we also have something else to put off. We must put off self and self-interest and put on Christ and Christ's interests and what he would have us to do. This goes back to, do we really know how we ought to live or does he? Are we going to go our own way or trust him and go his way? And since compassion is part of obedience to God, it has three parts to it. It has a motive, it has an act, and it has a goal. Or, as I've renamed them, there's a beginning of compassion, there's a heart of compassion, and there's an end of compassion. So what is the beginning of compassion or the motive? Well, the motive is love to God and love to men. This is what we are to do all things from. So we start with the gospel. Because you see, that's the very problem. As we're born sinners, we do not love God or men. This is why we need Jesus. And he loves us. And his love given to us compels us to love him in return. And if we love him and we love all of his goodness and all that he is, then we desire to be conformed to his image, to put on the same compassion we've been shown, to be like this one we love. This is a natural thing. If you think about it in your own life, who do you know that you admire, that you love, that you know loves you? Aren't there ways you want to be like them? This is natural and human. And God loves you. And it compels us to love him. The love of God constrains us. And this is why Paul addresses the saints in Colossae and reminds them of who they are. They are chosen by God. They are holy and beloved. Therefore, they can put on compassionate hearts. God is the one who made, made us and takes care of us. <clears throat> and I know that sometimes severe trials befall us, things that we might never have imagined we would walk through. Um, a dear lady at our church in Louisiana said recently, life is one disaster after another. And she's not wrong. <laughs> There are great ways in which life is one disaster after another, whether it's from our own sins, from the sins of others, from the trials of life itself. There are many, many broken and difficult things that we walk through. And we might be tempted at times to think that the measure of God's love for us is the circumstances of our lives. And then in looking at the difficulties we pass through, we might be tempted to think, maybe he doesn't love me. But the measure of the love of God for you is not the circumstances of your life, 
the measure of the love of God for you is the circumstances of Jesus' life and death. So if you doubt the love of God for you, if you struggle to see his love for you, it is not your life that you should look at. It's the life of Jesus. Pull out the Gospels. Read the stories. Know their truthfulness. And remember, this is the love of God to you. It's God in flesh and human form. It's God doing what we could not. It's Jesus hanging, dying, crucified. And in case you wondered if it was really enough, hear him cry with his last breath, it is finished. And then go sit a moment at the tomb and watch him rise because it's done. The work of redemption is complete. And now Christ is in the process of applying that redemption to you to save you from two things, the guilt of your sin and the power of your sin, to transform you into his image. He saves us from the guilt of our sin and justification, where he gives us his righteousness and takes our sin on the cross so that we are no longer guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And little by little, day by day, in the things he leads us through as our good shepherd, he is saving us from the power of our sins. This is sanctification. This is where the command to be compassionate falls. It's in our sanctification that he's calling us to put our feet in his footsteps, to follow him in showing love to others around us in compassion. And so the God who is added a human nature in order to suffer and obey as a man. This is the compassion he has shown to you. Does that make you love him? Want to be like him? Find a renewed strength and energy to think and to want to want to be like him. He's forgiven us so much. He has shown us so much compassion. The beginning and motive of compassion is love to God. And that is the only thing strong enough to overflow in love to men. But it didn't start with us. It was love that God gave to us first. And that love is strong enough. That love will never fail. If you'll turn with me to 1 John <coughs> chapter 3. And we'll talk about the heart of compassion. What compassion does. The acts of compassion that we are called to put on. I wanted to look at this passage with you because I think it reflects the same idea in John's words instead of Paul's. So starting in verse 16 of 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. How do we know love? He laid down our lives for us. This is how we ought to and why we ought to lay down our lives. 
He's been not only our substitute, but he is also our example. Verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? In other words, if we do not act compassionately, and this is the pattern and the continued pattern of our lives, how can we say that we know the love of God at all? If God's love doesn't change us, do we know it at all? Right? So if you see anyone that has the world's goods and see and you if you have the world's goods and see a brother in need, yet close your heart to him. How is God's love in you? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, we can talk about love, but if it doesn't change what we do, it's just talk. Verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know that's the first commandment you're to keep? To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And then love one another just as he has commanded us. There's an order so you can see here, the motive again is love to God, believing him, receiving love from God, then an overflow of love and compassion to others who have need. And that's a natural order. It's the right order. So what does it mean to reach out <clears throat> to others around us and seek to help relieve suffering? Well, the heart of compassion is settled in Christ. And it's content in his providence. Not perfectly, but truly. And therefore understands that every interaction with other human beings is God's ordained opportunity to show Christ to others. You see... If we know that Christ has loved and forgiven us and is ruling everything to make us more like Jesus, then every joy and every trial we face is from his hand with the intention of making us more like Jesus. And so in each new event, in each new struggle, in each new joy, there is opportunity there's opportunity to show the love we've been loved with. There's opportunity to forgive as we've been forgiven. There's opportunity to give instead of taking. And you see, believers have something to give. We have someone to give. And we can put on Christ and give to others as we have received from him. So what does this look like? towards the, those who are suffering spiritually. Maybe you are today. Those who are struggling spiritually. Sometimes it's called a dark night of the soul. 
Maybe you know someone else who is in that dark night. Maybe one day it'll be your turn to walk through that dark night of the soul. What does compassion look like toward the spiritually suffering? Well, first, it looks like the words of Jesus, that he will not break a bruised reed, and he will not quench a smoldering flax. Compassion to those who are suffering spiritually is not, what's wrong with you, get over it. It is not, well, this is just what you need to do. You see, the law itself will never pull us out of suffering, nor will it by itself make us good. It is the path on which we will walk in good things. But it is the gospel that the spiritually suffering need to hear. It is the promises of God. It's the things God has done. What is the gospel? It's that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised again in accordance with the scriptures. And where are you in that? Only in the part where you're the one who sinned. He did everything else. And so we can sit down next to those who are spiritually suffering and say, there is a Christ in heaven. He's real. He's true. If Jesus rose from the dead, then for him to fail to get you into heaven would require Jesus to go back into the grave. If Christ is risen and seated in heaven, then he will accomplish everything he promised to do. He will do all that he says he will do, or he is not God, and he has to get back in the grave. So we can sit with those who are suffering and say, there is a risen Christ, and I am praying for you, but there is much better news than that. Jesus is praying for you, and he's praying for you the way he prayed for Peter, that your faith will not fail. And there's an empty tomb, so it will not. You can rest. God will get you there. So what does compassion look like towards the physically suffering? Well, it looks like everything I just said first. There's a Christ who knows what it is to suffer, who suffered perfectly in your place and rose from the dead and can teach you how to suffer well. It looks like doing what you can to minister to their physical needs. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a cup of water to drink. In the name of the Lord Jesus. If they're weary, a place to rest. Really, physically, Maybe a warm meal, maybe a cup of hot chocolate, maybe a kind word. But to those who are physically suffering, we can point them to the Lord Jesus. And we can remind them that God does not waste suffering. He did not waste the suffering of Jesus 
and he will not waste their physical pain. He will use it to teach them more of Jesus, to show them more of who he is. He will use it to transform them into the image of his son. And if Jesus has died and risen from the dead, then the end of their suffering, the ultimate end, will be to be with him in glory and suffer no more. You see, there's no way to avoid suffering. It's part of a broken world. I've heard it put before that you can either suffer in this life and then go to hell and suffer some more. Or you can suffer in this life seeking to put off sin and put on righteousness no matter what happens and one day step into glory. And suffering is no more. These sufferings are only for now. And Jesus is with us. He can teach us to suffer well. So what does compassion look like toward an enemy? This one's hard. And it also begins with the gospel. And remembering that while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for the ungodly. And so compassion toward an enemy preaches the gospel refuses to hate because God has not hated us. But compassion doesn't shy away from what is true either because you see, if someone is an enemy in the sense that they are sinning against you, it's okay and even right to tell them the truth. This is not okay with God. You see, they have a soul, and their sins are not good for them. And compassion doesn't pretend like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's all. No, sin matters. It's a big deal. And compassion remembers that truth is best, not lies. So we can't pretend that sins don't exist in us or in others. So a truly compassionate heart will deal with others' sins according to the gospel. At times, they can be covered. It's a man's glory to overlook an offense, and love covers a multitude of sins. But sometimes, they can't be overlooked because they are damaging that person and others too greatly. And then compassion speaks the truth, points to Jesus, and holds them accountable because it's the best thing for them. It's the only way for them to see Jesus. Jesus was this way, wasn't he? He was so kind towards sinners who came to him. And he was so truthful with those who thought they had no sins. Right? So compassion towards an enemy doesn't pretend that there's not a problem. But it does refuse to hate. And it remembers that the great enemy 
is unbelief. The real fight is a fight to believe God and do what he says. Not against any other person or any other thing. That's the real fight. God will handle the other person. My job, believe him, do what he says. Leave the rest to my immense God, whose power is limitless. He can and he will do all things for his glory. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to control it. After all, I'm the only one I can do anything about. My job, love God, do what he says. <clears throat> so what does compassion look like in a marriage? Well, it looks like showing kindness. It looks like a gentle tongue. It looks like encouragement. Sometimes it looks like confrontation. But compassion in a marriage remembers that we want to be shown compassion. And we have been shown compassion by Christ. So we can give to another what Jesus has given to us. Patience, forbearance, long-suffering, an intent to do good and not evil. What does compassion look like in a home? And I'm thinking among siblings, towards our children, right? Um, as we teach them to be good siblings to each other. Well, it's not different. These are little souls, these tiny children in our homes. They have bodies that need to be fed and washed and clothed and ministered to. And they have little minds that need to be taught. And they have little hearts that need to be loved. And every day, in all the ups and downs of a day with children, God is calling us to show them Jesus. To tell them the truth about who he is. To deal with their sins in compassion instead of impatience. Sometimes we have to repent for the impatience and then show the compassion. But that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to point them to Jesus. And every time we deal with their messes and their sins and their sleeplessness and their sickness and all these things that we as mamas can sometimes feel so tired through, God is calling us to believe him and put on Jesus toward them. To put on the compassion of Christ. To feed them in his name. To remind them that the clothing we really need is the righteousness of Jesus. To remind them that he's the bread of life. He's who we need. Not all these things you want to grumble and complain and are sure you have to have yesterday 
in order to be satisfied. <laughs> and then as we remind them of all those things, we remember we don't do this so well ourselves. And God is calling us in every detail of every moment of every day to put on Jesus, to believe him and do what he says. And he reminds us that he has loved us with an everlasting love. That when our love fails and our compassion grows short, it just never does. It never ends. So what's the goal in all of this? Wait, one more thing before I get there, sorry. What about when we don't feel compassionate? What do we do with ourselves then? Well, we take ourselves back to the cross of Christ. We repent of our sin. We remember Jesus crucified, risen from the dead. And we thank God for another opportunity to be thankful for the cross because he's forgiven us even more than we thought he had. Each time we sin, that's an opportunity to see that the atonement of Jesus is bigger than we ever thought. So we take ourselves back to the cross of Christ and we remember that Jesus was compassionate perfectly in our place so that we can be called holy and beloved. But we also remember that he's our example and he shows us how to do this. And he will show us. And we can pray confidently that he will change us, that he will show us how to put on compassion. And we can know that he will answer that prayer because it's according to his will. He will do this. And then the last thing I would say is remember that compassion is not primarily a feeling. It may have feelings attached, but we can act in compassion even if we don't feel deeply moved with it. We can act. Ask the Lord to forgive the mixture of feelings and emotions in our actions, but still do what is right. Asking him to help our motives be purified, as well as our goals. So what is the goal? What is the end of compassion? Well, it's not to receive some kind of praise or glory for ourselves. That would not be compassion. That would be self-interest. Instead, the goal of all of our obedience is one thing, that God be glorified. It is that we enjoy and fellowship with Christ in obedience as we put on Christ and we walk in his steps. And this is what allows us to show compassion for others without expecting or seeking a particular outcome. The outcome we seek is the glory of God, regardless of what other people do with the compassion we show them. We want God to be glorified. We want to know him. We want to put on display the goodness of God in how we treat others and in fellowship with him because he is so good and been so good to us. So put on then 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Benjamin Keach said that life in Christ, life lived this way, believing God and doing what he says, is the best way to live, the noblest way to suffer, and the most comfortable way to die. It's the best way to live, the noblest way to suffer, and it's the most comfortable way to die. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the grace of the compassion of Jesus shown toward us in his life and his death. I thank you for his identification with us as a human being, his substitution for us that teaches us what it looks like to live a life according to the will of God and love and compassion to others. And Father, as we close now, I pray that you would sink your word into us, that we would see Jesus, that we would know the love of God and love him in return. Thank you, Lord, for each of these women. May we all grow in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.